Lowdown, KMXT's new daily show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on the facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to local officials and experts on COVID-19 and community actions related to it. If you have questions for our guests, please email them to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. You can find a list of upcoming guests on our Facebook page or on our website, kmxt.org. Audio from each day's program will be posted on the website. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. Today we have the privilege of being able to ask questions of representatives of our local law enforcement agencies. Chief Tim Putney from the Kodiak Police Department, Sergeant Dan Blizzard from the Alaska State Troopers, and Captain Brian Daly from Air Station Kodiak are all on the line. They're here to talk a little bit about the COVID pandemic and how it's affected their organizations. If you're like me, you probably have a lot of questions about how they're going on about their business safely and things that we as citizens should know about what they're doing and what you should be doing. So I'm just going to go plot ahead with a few questions that we've gotten uh, ahead of time on the lowdown line and that we've developed here in the studio. If you have questions, though, send them in to the lowdown at kmxt.org or give us a call at station 486-3181, and we'll try and get an answer for you during the show. Again, on the conference call today, Chief Tim Putney from Kodiak Police Department, Sergeant Dan Blizzard from Alaska State Troopers, and Captain Brian Daly from Air Station Kodiak. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for being here today. Morning. Morning, Mike. Morning. morning. Well, Chief Putney, let's start with you first. Uh, everybody, you, you have plans in place as a police department already. I mean, I'm assuming you have a epidemic plan or an emergency plan that got kicked into action at some point in time. When did when did the Kodiak Police Department start to respond? That's a good question. So, yeah, several weeks ago, uh, we we did, uh, kind of developed a intermediate plan for the pandemic. Um, probably three weeks ago is when we kind of started putting things into action where we took measures to minimize the contact we're having with the general public uh, because we're still going about our, our daily business responding to emergencies. So we want to, uh, you know, limit contact with, with the general public when we're still out and about having contact with uh, a lot of folks and some folks in the high-risk groups. So we uh, don't want to be the person inadvertently spreading this around town, right? So uh, we're... we're uh, using more discretion uh, related to like proactive law enforcement measures. Uh, we've stopped doing foot patrols. Um, you know, we're stopped making traffic stops for things like turn signals. Um, we've, uh, about two weeks ago, we closed the lobby at the police department, except for emergencies. So the doors aren't locked or anything, but um, we do ask people to call us now if they have questions, concerns, inquiries. Um, things that aren't quite rising to the level of an emergency. Um, just give us a phone call. Police officers are handling a lot more reports by phone now, and we've also closed the police or the yeah the police uh, department's jail to uh, visitors. 
Yeah, but I guess what I'm asking is, don't we all do you are you operating under normal procedures that have just been um, uh, reactionary in a way to okay, this is an epidemic or this this is this kind of a thing. Let's do these things. Or does the protocols already exist for dealing with a situation like this, and now you're just implementing it? So, yeah, about 10 years ago, uh, you know, when in the, the other um, viruses were, were out there, uh, departments started in, uh, putting into place some policies to deal with the, a pandemic like this, uh, like bird flu, swine flu, those other things uh, that have, you know, been in the history our last 20 years. So there were, there were plans uh, that were developed then, some policies that were developed based on kind of the, the best practices and, and what the, what science knew about, you know, these, these pandemic influences uh, was we're finding out now, you know, that a lot of people are concentrating on it. Some things are changing, but so there were plans that we could that we could implement. Okay, so you you have kind of a checklist. Okay, we've got this coming. These are the kind of things that we need to start doing to protect our officers and pr- protect the public. And one of them right. would and be let's close the jail. Let's uh, limit contact between our officers and the public. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And you know we're running into the same problem everybody is with with PPE with personal protective equipment. Uh-huh. Um, starting to run low on some of that, but um, do we already do those. we already have a stockpile that existed for something like this, or are you on the you know in in line for things to come? I mean, we're we're no, we... you know, yeah, I we the police department didn't necessarily have a stockpile. Um, we had a handful of these uh, the N95 masks that people are talking about. Uh, because we would use them, um, you know, when, when our officers had to handle drugs because of the fentanyl scare. Uh, so we did have some, uh, but we, we weren't uh, necessarily prepared for something like this. Okay. Are, are we acting alone, or do you, as a local police force, work with the troopers, the Coast Guard, with uh, other or- police organizations throughout the state to try and collectively come up with a, you know, this is how we're going to do it in Cordova. This is how we're going to do things in Valdez. And, and then, you know, you all kind of collectively come up with a, a common way to cover the things that maybe you didn't think about. So locally, uh, yeah, Kodiak Police Department always had a great relationship with the uh, Alaska State Troopers. We work pretty closely together on a regular basis. Uh, we also have the Alaska Parks. Uh, on in Kodiak, so we we work with them and uh, also the Coast Guard uh, Police Department. Uh, we have an MOU with the Coast Guard uh, where we can rely on each other in unique circumstances. Um, and then as a police chief, I've got a network of other chiefs across the state that I'm in contact with, and as a whole, we're we're all kind of taking similar steps responding to this uh, with what we just kind of talked about uh, with limiting contact with the public. Great. Uh, Sergeant Blizzard, uh, what, what, uh, when did the Alaska State Troopers sort of kick into gear for this and start changing, implementing a plan for what, what was coming and, and how you're dealing with things at the, and the, with the troopers? Yeah, so it's going to be pretty similar to what Chief Putney said. 
you know, I would say a month, month and a half ago, we started getting some direction from our headquarters in Anchorage about how we're going to start changing things, how we're going to start responding to calls differently. Um, again, you know, we are still here. We're, we are still responding to calls. It hasn't changed really that much for us. Um, we're going to try to handle things over the phone if possible, uh, but we're still responding to all person-to-person crimes, you know, active crimes in progress, motor vehicle collisions, and we're still going to be out and about in the community actively patrolling. The The difference is, of course, you know, we're going to try to protect the public and ourselves. You know, we're going to be wearing the N95 mask when we come in contact with the public or respond to someone's house, just, again, to protect not only the public and ourselves. Chief Putney, you know, made a good point there. Like, we don't want to be the ones that are spreading the virus if it ever gets here. You know, we're, we're coming in contact with a lot of people going to different houses, so we don't want to be spreading that throughout the day. Um, so that that's pretty important. So we're, some of the measures we changed, like I said, you know, we're gonna wear the N95 masks when possible. Um, we are limited our public here at the, the state trooper post as well. You know, we have a sign out the front. We'll we'll still come to the front door and meet with you, but we just ask that you call the number on the door first, and then we'll come out and, and meet you and see what we need to do. Um, keeping that social distancing is important, so, you know, we'll probably be implementing that a little bit more. We'll keep our distance when, when in contact with the public. And I, I'm kind of lucky in a sense that, you know, I've got a whole headquarters full of lieutenants, captains, uh, majors, colonels that are kind of making this decisions and, and implementing them statewide um, for Kodiak and, and everybody else. Oh, that, that's, so you're talking about they're, they're in Anchorage or they're somewhere else and they're, they're doing that administrative kind of thing for you. Correct. So... You know, I'm the post supervisor here in Kodiak. However, I still have a chain of command, and um, our policies and policy changes are coming down from the top, from headquarters up in Anchorage. Great. Uh, Captain Daly, how are things at the air station? I mean, what, what, what kind of changes have you seen implemented in the last month? Uh, I, I would say the air station's doing very well. Uh, we're still fully capable of performing all our missions. I know there's some concerns about, um, you know, the, our ability to transit COVID-19 patients, but, uh, you know, we, we have the proper PPE to be able to do that safely to, uh, you know, one, you know, protect the, uh, the victim or the potential patient, but also to protect our crews. Um, you know, the Coast Guard's, uh, I mean, we've had pandemic plans. I think every pandemic is a little bit different. Every, um, you know, I mean, we went through Ebola and SARS and H1N1, and so we've had plans in place to do this. I mean, this one is definitely a little bit different, and we're, you know, we're learning as we go along, too, some things that um, we probably didn't expect. Um, you know, the need, you know, there's 400 folks that work out here at the air station. There's probably uh, 1,500 folks at the entire complex, and, you know, a lot of times we work in very close quarters. And so, you know, did we have enough masks? for all of our people um, to, to work with now that we're looking at putting masks on everybody. No, but we've, uh, we've been very resourceful and, you know, getting that up to speed. It's tough in an aircraft environment to, for, you know, a bunch of maintainers working in an engine bay to, you know, keep that social distancing. But, uh, you know, we worked on that. Um, you know, the PB requirements for the flight crews, uh, you know, 
hoisting in a helicopter environment is a lot different than you know pulling up a, to an ambulance with a stretcher and the winds and the turbulence uh, generated by the rotor disc uh, you know requires a different level of PPE and so we've worked on that to make it um, you know safe for our crews to, to be able to do that mission. I think we've grown a lot in that in this last month, um, but you know I think we always have a we were always ready, but I think this uh, we've learned a lot about this coronavirus. It's a little bit more like the boogeyman when it first started off, and I think a lot of people were pretty um, afraid and didn't really understand um, you know how infectious this was. Uh, but I think we've got a better understanding of that, and so we're you know capable of doing all our missions. Great. But I mean, yeah, on the work side of the house, I mean we've. Uh, gone to great measures uh, to try to structure our workforce so we, so we don't have everybody at work at the same time um, because, as, you know, it's very easy for one person to come into work. You know, thankfully, we don't have COVID here on the island yet, but it's, we've had plenty of people that have sniffles or COVID-like symptoms, and it's very easy for one person to come to work and then contact with, you know, 20-something other people. So out of abundance of caution, you send everybody home, and pretty soon you don't have the ability to perform maintenance. Um, you know, so we've been very uh, cognizant of that, and we've structured our work environment so that wouldn't happen. Um, uh, but you know, we're we're heavily dialed into what the city's doing. I think that even on a state, and you know, so we have a you know federal coast guard and how the the big coast guard responds, and then you have the community requirements too. And we're very attuned to what's going on in the community. We're uh, following the governor's guidelines. We're following the city's guidelines. We're thankfully we've, we're such a good partner with the city with us and us with the city uh, we were involved you know I sit on the emergency services council uh, with also with Tim and Dan and uh, you know so we're very attuned to what the city's needs are and we're making sure that we're a good a good neighbor great hey, well that that leads me into the staffing issue for all three of you um, it, do you have enough people on the job have you done things to change the way your staff does business, you know, how many of them in, in a police environment, we normally think this isn't something that you can do from home. I mean, I know there's probably uh, support people that can do things from home, but do we have enough officers? Do we have enough troopers? Uh, it sounds like you do have, but if a portion of the, the staff gets infected, do we still have enough people to do the job? You absolutely and, do uh, at the at the air station. Yeah, we, we sure do. I mean, we've uh, you know we've broken down our duty sections into smaller groups, and uh, but we're still you know fully capable of manning you know all the requirements, and and uh, and as we're even looking forward to you know the the performance um, that we have coming up for you know Cordova and Casabue and Cold Bay and and on the back of the cutters that are in the in the bearing right now. So, you know, we're fully capable of performing all those missions. Well, I, I, I have a question from a listener uh, that, that is probably a good time to drop in right now, which is what, what happened with the transfer season on the base, and has it been delayed? Do you, do you have an answer for that? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's heavily on the minds of a lot of folks. You know, traditionally the Coast Guard will move almost – a third of the active duty population uh, out of Kodiak and then bring another third in. Um, there's definitely been some challenges with that. I think we're, um, and I think Kodiak is probably unique to this. And not all the people suffer the same transportation issues that we do, but uh, the, the transfer season is, you know, still going. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe get, some of it gets delayed by 30 days. Uh, but, you know, we're also 
you know, struggling with the, the ferry schedule is a very big part of our, our summer transfer season. So I'm trying to make sure that we can time people's departure and with, you know, with a functioning ferry so that they can, you know, get their household goods and their, their cars and vehicles off. Um, but the, the PCS transfer season's you know, in full swing. Um, if I saw anything, I think that maybe there may be some delays for some people, not for all. Okay. Chief, how are things at the uh, police department in terms of staff? Over the years, uh, we've definitely fluctuated in staffing levels, but we've always been able to make do with what we had. Um, we are hiring for officers right now uh, um, in that uh, we have more accepting applications, I should say. So we are shorthanded right now, but um, at this point in time, we can absolutely handle um, what comes our way if um, or when this you know, we we did see COVID, and if we had some officers that started to get sick, you know, that would definitely leave us in a in a position where, um, you know, we'd be shorthanded. Uh, we probably wouldn't have some of the luxuries we do right now. For example, uh, you know, our investigations, our detective would probably have to come back to the patrol, and me and the deputy chief would probably be out there patrolling too. Um, and some of the paperwork would get piled up, but we'll still we'll still be here and we'll still uh, do what we have to. Great. Uh, Sergeant Blizzard, how are things at the trooper end? Do you have the same number of people that you had before? Do you have enough? Yeah, so, you know, generally most people realize that here at the troopers, we're separated into two divisions. We have the Alaska Wildlife Troopers and we have the Alaska State Troopers. You know, we have both divisions represented here in Kodiak. So I'm going to speak to the Alaska State Troopers, the blue shirt side of it, because that's what I am and that's what I know. Yeah. Um, so for, as far as we're concerned, you know, there's six of us total, um, five troopers and myself. We have one admin staff. So for right now, everything is, is good. We, we do have enough people. Um, our, our commissioner, uh, within the last couple of weeks, has canceled all pre-approved personally for everyone. So I think that's just to prepare so that if something does happen where, you know, we do get one guy who has to go into quarantine or two guys that go into quarantine, we have enough people, you know, here in Kodiak and elsewhere in the state that we can, you know, pull from. And we don't have people out on personal leave that we have to pull back. It's just, they're already working. We can just plug them in wherever we need to and go from there. All right, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, what you're doing internally to deal with this in relation to, to your staff, I mean, are you having more staff meetings? How are you dealing with communicating information to them about what they're potentially facing and, and um, giving them, you know, keeping the anxiety down, I would guess, because you're, you're all involved in kind of high-stress occupations, right? Right. I would say, uh, this is Tim, there's definitely a lot more, you know, anxiety, uh, I think, everywhere, um, and we're not uh, exempt from that. So we have an internal message board uh, where we've trying to, we're posting updates and, of course, email. Um, probably everybody's um, getting sick of having a full inbox right now. Uh, but we have discontinued our shift briefs. We used to, between every shift, we'd, we'd have a, a meeting, a brief meeting, where we get all the ongoing and offgoing shift uh, people from all the different divisions, dispatch, corrections, patrol, investigations, and we'd kind of say, we talk about what happened during the previous shift, 
and what the next shift should be prepared for. Uh, but to limit contact, we've uh, suspended those for now, and we're each division now is kind of doing their own, and they're going off of, uh, you know, kind of the information flow of the chain of command. So uh, the sergeants are uh, kind of dispersing that amongst their their, their crew, um, and uh, that seems to be working right now. But you are seeing more stress than you have in the past. Is that what? Than a, than, a, than a normal two months ago. I think it's I think it's getting better as Captain Daly alluded to before. Kind of this, there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of questions, but I think we have a lot more answers today than we did a few weeks ago. So we're we're understanding uh, kind of what we're up against, and I think that's definitely helping uh, kind of relieve some of that anxiety. Sergeant Blizzard at the trooper end. Are you seeing this? Yeah, so I think you kind of hit on it before. You know, we we really don't have the option to to work from home per se. You know, we we kind of need to be out and about, and we need to be able to respond to calls. Um, so there's definitely some anxiety and some other stressors that COVID-19 brings into the picture. I mean, we've all got families, we've all got loved ones at home. You know, we certainly don't want to be spreading the the COVID virus between the public and we certainly don't want to bring it home to our loved ones. So, you know, there, there are definitely some extra stressors in this time. And, you know, it's, it's changing daily, really. I mean, we get more cases, we get information daily and, and hourly sometimes. So I think people are handling it pretty well um, on our end and uh, we're just, you know, going forward. Well, at the air station, I, I, you're you're really in a position where you you don't have a choice. I mean, if you get called out, you go right. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we. Um, yeah, I mean, the days of you got to go out and not come back. I I don't think that's that's a correct euphemism. But uh, yeah, we're we we take very serious our responsibility to the community, and to the mariner, and uh, and to the outlying villages, and uh, and so yeah, we were. You know, we, we need to go. And so um, I think that, you know, when this first kicked off, I mean, we spent a lot of time making sure that uh, we had the proper protective equipment. And so, you, I mean, you, you have a baseline amount of protective equipment and you have baseline um, procedures. You know, we deal with people with hepatitis and, you know, tuberculosis and things like that on a regular basis. So, you know, so infectious disease is not outside our normal wheelhouse of operations. But then you throw in something like the unknown of you know COVID-19, and you know how that may manifest itself, and uh, so you have to sort of take you know take that individual scenario and then adjust your tactics you know to meet that head-on. And so we spent a lot of time recognizing that um, that you know we do a lot of you know the Coast Guard just does a lot of search and rescue on the water, but in the state of Alaska we also do a lot of medical evacuations from some of these outlying areas where either the life flight cannot get into or the weather's too bad or the remoteness of some of these villages or, you know, people that go out on hunts. And so we end up doing a lot of land base, and that's an entirely different dynamic too. And so, uh, you know, so we spent a lot of time recognizing that we will be called to do that and making sure that we had the proper procedures and the proper equipment to allow us to, um, you know, to execute that mission. But, I, I mean, you're, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there is a lot of anxiety out here. There's a lot of you know, um, you know, misunderstanding or uh, a lot of confusion. And, and before, you know, it was very easy for me to get my leadership team together all in one room and make sure that our messaging 
was correct and that everybody understood, you know, the direction that we were going. And, you know, in this type of environment, uh, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, emails are easily misconstrued or read into. It's hard to judge people's intent and body language, you know, by reading it on the screen. And so, you know, we've definitely had to adjust that. We don't have the large gatherings of people. Even our watch release for our maintainers, you know, traditionally they would all meet in, you know, the maintenance uh, office and they would go over the maintenance schedule for the evening. And, and we don't do that because we don't want to try, you know, we want to try to limit those types of gatherings. And so that is that is definitely a challenge. I find myself, you know, doing a lot more, which is probably not a bad thing, doing a lot of that walking around leadership, you know, walking around and talking to people, keeping my distance, but, uh, you know, finding out what's going on and then picking up on those little cues that, hey, maybe, you know, you need to put out some guidance on that. And then we're also blessed, um, you know, well, well, Facebook sometimes is a blessing and a curse. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, we have a, I mean, we have a, we have a ombudsman, which is sort of like a, it's a spouse that volunteers her time to be a sort of a conduit to the families. And ours is Alicia Steenbergen, and she um, does a great job of keeping the families informed. And we, so, we, so we allow her to be that conduit. You know, we try not to overload people with information, um, but, you know, she's a great conduit to the families. Um, and, uh, uh and you know, and then we have internal you know, communications, but that's you know, sometimes that's like okay. uh, Tim said, you're with how many you get, and you stop, stop reading those. So that originally there was some fear in the part of the village community that there wasn't going to be the Coast Guard assistance to help with evacuations, but from what I understand, yeah, I understand now that that's been solved. Right. So if you look at, you know, initially when they started talking about COVID, um, initially we were looking at the same sort of protective requirements that we put on for somebody who has a, a case like Ebola. And so Ebola requires this uh, personal protection unit that the person would actually go up into. It's, it's almost like an incubator. And so we don't have that technology here. Um, the Air Force has it up in Anchorage. Um, so, you know, but we, uh, you know, did some digging, found out, looked for alternatives, and so we were developed, were able to develop, you know, a workaround for that. And so, and, you know, initially our thoughts were uh, that, um, and that was mostly for a hoisting environment. So that would be hoisting somebody off of an air, off of a boat or something like that where you couldn't shut the helicopter down. But, um, but you know, we've grown into that capability, and, uh, and, and as we understood the disease better, you know, we were able to adjust our tactics to be able to, do any type any type of uh, rescue great um for chief putney and for uh, sergeant blizzard um there there are uh, priority responses wouldn't you say that that in certain cases uh you can say this is this is a really serious type offense and i need to respond and isn't there a a, a way in the midst of a disaster you can say these are the only kind of calls we want to go on. Have have we gotten to that point yet, or are you still responding to everything? This is uh, Tim. I can go first. I I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. We're still we're we're responding to emergencies, and I know that's kind of got a loose definition to it, right? But if somebody calls and they're, you can tell when somebody feels like they're experiencing experiencing an emergency um, and you know we're, we're responding to those uh, we haven't um, made a list of things we will or will not respond to um, but perhaps 
Um, you know, if the officer feels like this is something they can handle over the phone, they're going to try to do that. Um, uh, you know, but a person to person crime, like an assault, uh, obviously we, uh, we're absolutely going to that. Um, things like a burglary or in progress or a robbery, those, uh, where there's potential for somebody to get injured. Um, we're, we're still responding to those, um, probably take, you know, 10 seconds to put on a, a mask and some gloves first, but, um, for the, for the majority, um, we, we're still responding. We haven't gotten to the point where we feel like we need to limit what we uh, will or will not uh, respond to. Same with the troopers? Yeah, I agree with what uh, Chief Putney said. You know, we're, we're basically in the same boat. Um, we're still responding to pretty much everything. Um, you know, there, there was stuff that we did prior to COVID-19 that we did over the telephone, and we're still doing the same thing maybe slightly more than before, but most of the stuff that we get calls about or that we need to respond to, you know, it, it needs to be a response. It, it can't be handled over the telephone or, um, so we're, we're still going. Okay. Well, put me in this place of a, uh, of a, of a police officer whose normal job is to have close contact with people. I mean, you're arresting people, you're having face-to-face confrontations with people. Um, how do you do that as an officer safely? And if you're having contact with somebody who's potentially affected, what do you do after the contact is over to minimize the risk to the people you're going to come in contact with later? So we're, um, you know, instituting some decontamination um, habits, I guess we could call them. So after, you know, every time something an officer is going to transport somebody in their car, uh, they're, they're decontaminating their car. They, uh, right now that's, you know, they're, they're washing the back seats down with bleach and they're, they're using uh, a disinfectant in, in the front uh, area of the car. They're wearing masks and gloves during the process. Uh, and it's, you know, we, we try to, um, you know, we try to train our officers to try to keep somewhat of a distance um, away from people in general, but we do have a habit of getting of getting close. Um, that's just part of the job. So, you know, trying to be mindful of of keeping, you know, about six feet away or from somebody. And but you know that you know, it's I not going to happen, right? I mean, it, 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 there are situations where that you're just not going to be able to maintain distance, right? Right, and you know we've. Uh, a lot of the officers now are coming to work in, in their civilian clothes and changing at work, keeping an extra uniform here. We have uh, showers in the locker room. So, um, you know, they would just change uniforms, take a shower, Lysol or uh, spray down their duty gear, wipe down their vests and uh, have their, um, you know, get their old uniform laundered. So they were trying to minimize the spread and the risk there by um, taking those steps. You got to add a lot more time to your day, though, to do all that preparatory work, right? Yeah, yep, that does add a lot more, you know, probably at least another half an hour or so at the beginning and the end of shift to to do those things. But, um, you know, like Sergeant Blizzard was talking about before, they are they're aware of what they're doing during the day. They're trying to minimize the risk of bringing this home to their families. So um, to them, you know, taking a shower and changing their clothes before they go home and um, is an appropriate step. 
are you like taking people's temperatures or monitoring the employees to see whether or not anybody would potentially be somebody you'd have to quarantine and then take out of circulation? We've we've got uh, we've got those available. Um, we're not mandating it yet uh, at the at our level, um, but we do have uh, you know the ability to they can take their temperature if they feel like they're not feeling well. Uh, they are abiding, you know, they're, they're, they're taking precautions and, you know, we've said, we don't want you coming in if you've got the sniffles even. So if you are sick at all, stay home. Um, and, uh, we, we haven't had any issues yet. Uh, I can, I would say also this, Brian, um, you know, so now that, uh, you know, there's the rapid test capability now on the Island. And that's going to make life a lot better for us to have to have or maintain healthy workforces. And so, um, you know, so now we have, before we have the ability, you know, you'd, you'd have somebody have the sniffles and they were in a part of a work group that had five different people. And so then you'd send all five people home and they would be out of circulation for, you know, five to seven days, however long it took to get those results back. Even if, you know, even if, if you could get the testing done. And, 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 you know, now there's an opportunity here on island. Um, you know, Canada has two of those uh, rapid testers, and they have that um, that test facility that, you know, through referral of doctors that you can get the rapid test done. So that's, that's huge for us in the response business. Sergeant Blizzard? Yeah, so we've got some direction from our commissioner on what to do if we think we were exposed or we know we were exposed. And basically just set up guidelines, you know, we're going to try to keep them away from everybody else within the department, right? We don't want them coming back to the to the office and be in the squad room with all the other guys and, and potentially spreading it to everyone. So if they think they've been exposed or they know they've been exposed to someone, say, out during an arrest or whatever, you know, we're going to ask that they not come back to the post, you know, not notify the supervisor, kind of the same thing, you know, get rid of the uniform you're wearing, um, by washing it or changing it out, wiping down the duty gear. And then um, if we can confirm that they were exposed, they're going to be pulled out of the rotation for their 14-day quarantine, essentially. And you're already a bit short-staffed, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's five troopers and myself here. So, you know, that's for right now it's okay, but to pull one guy out or – Two guys out, you know that's that's a pretty big hit. Right. So we would essentially have to, you know, work some more and alter some shift schedules, maybe, and uh, go from there. All right. Well, let's break it down into an arrest. You know, you you normally you're you're in a situation with somebody and 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 it's escalating to the point where the person's going to get arrested for something. At at first, you probably try and keep your distance away from the person, but then it becomes impendent. You know, you you're going to have to have contact with this person and get them in the patrol car. What happens at that point? You I mean is there a protocol for? how you can safely do that, and if you have contact, then what do you have to do? What are all the things then you have to do afterwards to protect the other people who are going to go in the car later, to protect the officer from contacting other people? Um, is, is, there, is there a procedure for making that happen? This is Dan. So, I mean, Chief Putney kind of hit on it a little bit, you know. Obviously, 
we're going to keep our distance if we can, but we can't arrest people from six feet away. It's, the reality is we're going to have to go up. We're going to get hands-on. We're going to put them in the back of our patrol car and transport them, right? So, um, you know, just the, just the simple things of, you know, once you're done at the jail, either while you're still at the jail um, or once you get back to the office, you know, wiping down the back seat. Oh, the patrol car. You know, our patrol cars are the hard plastic um, anyways, so it's real quick and easy to wipe it down or spray it down with some Lysol. Um, when we do respond, we're already going to be wearing our personal protection equipment, you know, an N95 mask, some gloves on, um, maybe some eye protection. Um, but we're already going to be prepared when we get to the situation. So when we do have to go hands-on or if we do have to go hands-on, we're already kind of prepared for that. Now I got these N95 masks. Are is one? Are they reusable? Technically, technically no. This is this is Tim. Technically, no. They're not made to be reused. But the CDC has issued some guidelines for for them to for us to be able to reuse them uh, because of the kind of the crisis around the nation right now and around the world with a shortage of them. So we've. We've got a little uh, sanitizing uh, box, I guess you could call it a homemade thing that we put together at the police department that allows us to uh, to reuse them after after about 90 minutes. Um, there's also another method with putting them into a box or into a paper bag and letting it wait 72 hours. That's I guess that's what the scientists have determined is an appropriate amount of time for if there is, you know, a, a virus on the mask that after 72 hours, it's uh, going to be safe to reuse that mask for that for that same officer that wore it the first time. So we're trying to um, be as efficient as we can with the with the limited supply. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about then the next step. If somebody gets arrested, then somebody's getting arrested and they're going to the jail. What kind of changes have we seen at the jail in response to this? So, you know, to, I guess kind of drawing the line there, if, if somebody is uh, clearly if they look like they're sick or they say they're sick, they're, um, we'll take their temperature, they get, you know, we've expanded our questioning during the booking process to include the, the COVID-19 questions um, related to health and travel and so forth. Um, we would, you know, depending on the charges, um, you know, for let's just say this is a, you know, a mandatory arrest under the law, they they have to stay in jail, they have to go to court. Um, we do have a, a cell that's prepared um, to, to offer as much protection to the rest of the facility as possible. And um, we've got a plan in place to be able to contain that. And just in general, um, you know, we would, we're, we're spacing people out as much as we can uh, in, in different pods to keep this, the distancing um, following the, you know, the, the DOC um, has put out a lot of guidance for us to follow following CDC recommendations. So the there's a whole new procedure in place for the people that work in the jail now, I would assume. They're highly aware right, of... Yeah, absolutely. They got uh, they've got the basic masks, gloves, and and eye protection. They've also got, um, you know, we've also got access to Tyvek suits if we need them. Okay. 
Now, um, <coughs> excuse me, is there have has there been a decrease in the amount of people who are who are getting arrested now? So, along with uh, kind of the, our our practices. Um, it has decreased some of the contact we're having with the public. So there is a small decrease in, you know, some of the arrests that we were making previously with, you know, when you stop a car because it ran a, you know, didn't use a turn signal and the person doesn't have a driver's license or they don't have insurance, those, those things like that, or maybe they have a, a bench warrant. Um, but we are, you know, we're still maintaining a highly visible patrol or, you know, that's kind of the direction. We still want people to know that we're here and we're out there and we're watching um, just some of those smaller things, um, we're probably, um, they might get our attention, but we're not going to react to it right away if, if it wasn't major. And, um, you know, the, the court systems also put into effect some temporary bail policies. So, um, they're on their end also, they're, you know, they're trying to limit, um, the court staff and the judges and, magistrate coming into contact with a lot of people. So we're handling um, arraignments from the So you're doing a lot more work tele by teleconference, right? Yeah, a lot more teleconference. And, uh, you know, the court's only doing emergency, but they're what they consider emergency hearings right now. So um, there's, a, there's a little less um, court hearings going on right now. Okay. Well, you know, in a in any uh, kind of social unrest like this, there's there is a this is an opportunity time for crime, right? I mean, we saw that during during the tsunami. Um, right. Are we seeing things like that, or anticipating things like that? An increase in domestic violence. Uh, there's an uh, indication that there's a more abuse of children, especially in a situation now where. You know, people are cooped up. Um, are we preparing ourselves for new kind of social things that you haven't seen before? Yeah, we're definitely anticipating some of those things. But uh, to be honest with you, we haven't seen anything like that in Kodiak yet. Um, you know, Kodiak always seems to do better in these kinds of circumstances uh, with, the, with the unknown, with these emergencies and some of the other communities around the country. So we're... You know, at this point in time, it's, it's business as usual. We're not seeing an increase in any of those crimes. Troopers, too? Is that a true for the trooper? Yeah, I, w I would say we're, we're seeing a decrease in calls for service, like, across the board. Um, you, you know, you spoke about the tsunami. The thing that's different about that is, you know, when the tsunami happened, people had to evacuate their or their neighborhood, their homes, that left some, say, criminals that knowing that this whole neighborhood is not at their home. So it's like a target of opportunity. Now we're kind of on the flip side of that, right? We are more people are at home. So we, we certainly aren't seeing any more burglaries or thefts from that standpoint. However, um, like Chief Punny said, we, we are anticipating, you know, people are going to be start getting cooped up together for long periods of time. Some tempers and anger 
issues going on in your household. So as of right now, we haven't seen an increase in assaults or domestic violence, um, but we are prepared for that and um, just pushing forward. Well, that's a that's a good thing. Now, there there's a lot of questioning about um, social policing mandates. Um, we we have uh, we have masks. We have not congregating in large groups. How are both of your organizations dealing with those kind of those kind of mandates and people who don't seem to be paying attention to them? We're, we're trying to stay on top of the governor's, you know, the most recent mandates and uh, making sure we're reviewing those on a regular basis so that we're aware of them. A lot of them are written in a way that they're highly encouraging people to follow, you know, these mandates. Uh, they have, you know, they have made statements that some things could be construed as a crime. Um, and we're, you know, there's that uh, investigations at Alaska.gov. There's kind of a branch out there, um, a law enforcement branch, to kind of look into some of those uh, allegations. And right now, we're forwarding a lot of those complaints to that branch. Um, you know, I don't feel like the local law enforcement. You know, we're we're not at a point in this uh, pandemic where I feel like we need to be stopping people and asking them for papers or any of that stuff. We're not going to be. I don't. You know, we're definitely trying to avoid that uh, the appearance of trying to enforce these mandates as the you know the as the police so but we are happy to you know remind people you know what the mandates say try to use the the education component to that um and and definitely we're striving for some voluntary compliance and uh, we you know we're aware that uh, there's some allegations out there that some people don't feel like some people are following these um, there is the perception, though, that, you know, that might be the case, but, you know, when you dig into it, you know, they actually are following, you know, these mandates. They are, you know, they might be with a group of people, but it's their family, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, from the trooper's point of, point, of, point of view, how do you look at it? Yeah, we're essentially doing the same things. I mean, we're we're fielding calls pretty much daily about some type of mandate issue or, you know, somebody calling in saying, hey, so-and-so hasn't quarantined. Um, we, we do as well uh, direct a lot of people to the investigations at alaska.gov uh, email address. And if you call our, our dispatch and, and you're reporting something like this, sometimes they're going to just direct you to it, and that will be the end of it. But we are still responding to different things, uh, reports of, you know, so-and-so is not quarantined. Well, we might just call them up and ask them, like, hey, you know, so we're getting reports of this. You know, wh what is the situation? And, and most generally what we're finding is people, you know, are in fact abiding by the mandates. You know, it's just some misinformation or rumors that people are hearing about someone is not quarantining properly. I'm sure there's people out there that have come into town and are not quarantined for the 14 days like they're supposed to. Um, but in general, I think... For the most part, people are abiding by the mandates. Um, you know, the weather's getting nicer now. Um, we get some sunshine. People are been cooped up for a little while. They want to get out and about. So, you know, we're getting calls about you know people congregating at White Sands or the different beaches around the town. So, again, you know, in general, we've been responding just to see that a friendly contact saying, "Hey, we're getting reports about this," and we are finding that you know, like Tim said they're either 
family groups, same household, which is okay, or if there are different groups of different household members, they are practicing social distancing, you know, maybe having a campfire down the beach a ways, and, and everybody's getting out, they're, they're keeping their social distancing and, and abiding by the mandates from what we're seeing. What's the public's role in helping you uh, enforce the mandates, though? I mean, if is it does the ordinary Joe have the right to go up to somebody and say, you know, you need to be quarantined, you need to have a mask on, you need to be six feet away from somebody else? I mean, they can certainly do that or, you know, call us and we'll decide if we can um, – investigate it or not you know mainly what we're looking for is just to police yourself you know as long as everybody's abiding by the mandates and and policing themselves and their family members then we all should be okay so how how can the public help all of your organizations how how can we help you do what we need to do i think most of the public is is doing that right now most of the community uh you know, I know, especially as we're going into, you know, week three, at least with the EOC stood up and at least a month with all this news about COVID-19 on the island, and um, things are, you know, the things are kind of getting a little real. And I think people understand that they're abiding by the mandates. They're start. I've seen a lot of uh, face shields in town uh, the last couple of days, especially at the grocery store. And I think, you know, by and large, if most of the public is doing this is kind of like where peer pressure comes in. And if you're the person that you're the only person that's not wearing a face shield in Safeway, maybe the next time you go there, you will have one. Yeah. Um, and if they do have serious concerns, um, they can definitely call us. Uh, like Sergeant Blizzard said, um, if, um, and, and, and we'll, we'll do what we have to do. Okay. Captain, Captain Daly. Is there is there anything the local community can do to help you do what you do? Um, no, I mean I think the local community is doing amazing things for us already. Um, and you know it's funny because uh, when you say like the local community, and so it sort of implies you know like there's the Coast Guard community and then there's the Kodiak community and no. really that line. No, oh, no, and I, I just not, and I, I was actually using that as a segue, you know, to sort of address that feeling of. We're we're all one big community, and and I know and I know you recognize that, and I, and I definitely um, you know talking to the mayor and the different people that we talk to. I mean, we we all understand that there's uh, you know you have the active duty people that actually work on the base, but you know most of those active duty have have a spouse or you know significant other at home that you know make up a lot of the doctors and nurses and teachers and you know and are are interwoven through all the, the whole the whole fabric, but. But I would say that there is a community response, just like last year when we had the government shut down. The community response was awesome. You know, this year it's the same way where, uh, you know, we've had people volunteer to make masks for us and things like that, and you know, always checking on, you know, what 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 can we do to help? And 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 then the flip side of that is that you know we are very interested in you know what can we do to help the community. And I know, you know, I've got uh, Larry Watkins who's on that community volunteerism board, you know, trying to organize coasties. The great work that um, those folks are doing with Steve Putman and those people putting together that, not Putman, um, uh, Open. Yeah. Go blank on the name. On the name. But uh, anyway, I mean, they're doing a great, you know, they're doing great things organizing the community. And so we're, we're dialed into that. 
and uh, and you know we have people that are are working with Canna on the rapid test sites and 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 adding our Corman to that. And so um, I think you know us all working together are going to get this through this. And, we, and this is an amazing community. And you know we're talking about you know what can the public do as far as I think we're doing a great job of self-modeling and modeling that behavior that we expect everybody to have, you know, and, and you know, now we're asking people to wear, you know, face shields in, in those places like Safeway and Walmart and things like that. I mean, those, those are great things, and I think that, you know, why, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of wanting to be out in the, in the great outdoors and recognize that there are certain choke points, you know, where people, cars must be parked, but, you know, the people then can rapidly spread out into this great environment we call Kodiak. And, uh, and enjoy the outdoors and and th then I would say that probably recognize that you know Facebook is m sometimes is not the best place to get all your information from and that uh, that as you know I drive around a lot and uh, it, to me it seems like everybody's doing a great job of trying to keep the community safe and everybody's vested in a safe and healthy um, Kodiak and so I'll, you know I, that's most impressive you know to me you know coming from a lot of different places where that community identity is not as strong. I mean, everybody's trying to keep Kodiak safe, and, uh, and they're doing a great job with it. Sergeant Blizzard, you want to try and top that? Uh, I think Chief Daly, you know, hit the nail on the head. You know, the community is already doing a great job. Um, if they feel it necessary to call or, or call someone out or call the troopers or the KPD or whoever it is, um, we're, we're all concerned about this. We None of us want to get COVID-19 <laughs> here in Kodiak. And I think if we just keep on as a community and, and policing each other, um, we can keep it out of here. Gentlemen, <clears throat> thank you all very much for your time today. Chief Tim Putney from Kodiak Police Department, Sergeant Dan Blizzard from the Alaska State Troopers, and Captain Brian Daly from the Air Station Kodiak. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing information to the community. Um, don't be a criminal. Be a good neighbor. Wash your hands, use a mask, use good protocol, and have a lovely weekend. Thank you all for tuning in today. Uh, tune in next Monday for another edition of The Lowdown. Have a good weekend. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye. Thank you.